Welcome to The Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Liz Kelly. Fresh off of Talk the Thrones, The Ringer is introducing a new live Twitter after show covering season two of HBO's Big Little Lies. Immediately after each episode, The Ringer's Amanda Dobbins and ESPN's Mina Kimes will be going live to give their initial reactions and break down everything we saw in the episode. And to kick us off, there will be a special season two preview airing on Friday, June 7th at 12 p.m. Pacific. So join Amanda and Mina for Big Little Live every Sunday on Twitter. Welcome to the Ringer NBA show. I'm Chris Vernon and joining me as he does every Tuesday from the ringer.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Climber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Camera, a.k.a. Kevin O'Conflict, a.k.a. Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin Opinionated, <laughs> a.k.a. Mr. Bright Future Son, mm. Kevin! Berno, it's finally the finals! Let's it do is it. finally the finals. Yes. We have the Toronto Raptors. Against the Golden State Warriors, uh, of course, the Raptors, by virtue of beating the Milwaukee Bucks the other night, sent themselves to their first NBA Finals, and they are facing someone who is all too familiar with this role. Okay, let's start with the huge question, and then we'll get into our Finals preview. And I'm sure you have already gotten it. I've gotten it a million times, which is, do you think the Raptors have a chance? And I love that my voice. answer <laughs> is yes, absolutely. I think they have a chance, but I'll let you answer that first and then I'll get into why I think so. Sure. They absolutely do. And I, I think the moment that really captures the chances after game six, when the Raptors beat the Bucks, Kyle Lowry was asked. What's different about this Raptors group? Why was this group able to get over the hump and get to the finals? And he simply paused and turned to his right and chuckled while looking at Kawhi Leonard. And that's the reason why this Raptors team has a chance. When you look at the way Kawhi has produced this postseason, he's averaging 31.2 points on a 62.3 true shooting percentage. Obviously rebounding the ball as well, 8.8 rebounds. Passing the ball a lot better recently against Milwaukee in the, in the, at the end of that series with 3.8 assists over the full postseason. And he's playing lockdown defense every single series, whether it's, it's against Aaron Gordon or DJ Augustine in the first round, Ben Simmons or Jimmy Butler in the second round, and then Giannis Antetokounmpo and Chris Middleton last round, or even Malcolm Brogdon for that matter. Kawhi has done it all. Like He's really playing at a all-time level right now. This is one of the greatest postseason runs that we've seen by an individual player. So when assessing this matchup, Toronto versus Golden State, I think you need to look at it from the perspective that Toronto has a guy performing as like an all-time GOAT level right now. Like This is Michael Jordan-level stuff right now. This is LeBron-level stuff that we're seeing from Kawhi. And whether it translates against Golden State which will be the toughest defense that they've gone against so far this postseason, remains to be seen. But what we've seen from Kawhi with his history with San Antonio and then this postseason with Toronto suggests that it will. And to me, that suggests this is a series that's going to go deep. And when we last saw him in very high-stakes basketball against the Golden State Warriors, he was absolutely murdering them until he landed on Zaza Pachulia. Uh, yeah, that's still too bad. That was happening. So we saw him in high-stakes basketball, and he was just going off. He was easily the best player on the floor. We just never we never saw that series play out. We don't know, you know, and we do know that prior to that series, he had been just on an absolute rampage in that postseason. He was awesome. 
And we haven't seen him since against Golden State in that kind of leverage. So you take that. It's very, very rare that you could have the opportunity to possibly have the best player on the floor when you're playing against the Golden State Warriors. They're obviously a team that brings that to the table. But beyond that, Kev, it's the thing that I know people don't focus on all that much, but it is defense. This team can defend, man. And they are first amongst all teams in the postseason in defensive rating. They were fourth in the NBA this season, and they are first in the postseason. And their mark for the postseason so far up to this finals is 100.1 points per 100 possessions. That would be the best defense in the league by three points if you slotted it into the regular season. And they played a bunch of games. They've been going, you know, reasonably deep in these last two series. And it's interesting because if you flip it going into this, if you just take their postseason ranks, you'll never believe this, but Golden State's number one in offense. They are eighth in defense. Meanwhile, Toronto, they are first in defense and they are eighth in offense. So these teams are respectively ranked first and eighth in the categories. And I guess we're going to find out if defense wins because this Raptors thing, it's gone on long enough to know they make it very difficult for these teams to score. And when you are high octane, they've now faced two teams that are at their best going downhill. And they were able to stymie Philly and make Simmons much less of a player than he is by not letting them go downhill. And then it goes without saying that whole Bucks team. But most importantly, their point guard Bledsoe and Giannis, it makes life hell. You know, if you can't get up and down and you can't be comfortable, then it can make these guys different players. And if there's anything we've learned from watching teams that have given the Warriors problems in years past, it is, can you make them uncomfortable? Can you keep them from snatching the ball off the rim and going downhill? Because that's when they're devastating. Yeah, in, in regards to Toronto's defense, Last season, they were one of the top defenses all year long until around mid-March, and then they just collapsed. And I think with this year's roster is overall fairly similar, other than Kawhi and Marc Gasol, of course. But when you have a guy like Kawhi, he had a quote in March where he said, there's 82 games, and for me, these are just practices, and playoffs is when it's time to lace them up. And all year long, Kawhi, despite the fact he made the all-defensive team, which I think was a mistake because it's based off regular season performance— in postseason play, like he obviously kicks it up to another level or he laces them up, as he says. And Kawhi's been an all-world defender, one of the greatest defenders of all time, as we've seen in this postseason, because he's locked down absolutely everybody. As you said, Chris, overall, their team defensive effort has been great. Helping off of non-shooters when they face the Bucks, forcing Giannis to pass, clogging driving lanes for him. The difference is, is in the last two rounds against Simmons and Giannis, they're clogging the lane on drives. Now you're facing a perimeter-oriented team with Stephen Curry who can pull up from three, Clay Thompson who can shoot threes. You're not facing a team that's necessarily always trying to get to the rim like Milwaukee and Philadelphia were. So this presents a new challenge for Toronto. And that's why in my article up Tuesday on The Ringer, I, I asked the question, who actually defends Stephen Curry to start this series? Because... Kyle Lowry, as good as he is on defense, he's a little bit too slow laterally to contain Steph. Is it Danny Green? Probably not, because he's somebody, even when he was with San Antonio, he tended to be the primary defender against Klay Thompson. 
Is it Van Vliet? No, because he comes off the bench, even though he was the guy who did it in one of their regular season matchups. Does that mean it could be Kawhi, who is the person defending Stephen Curry? Because throughout the postseason, Kawhi's been used not necessarily against smaller players, but he's been used against the guy who initiates offense, whether that was Augustine in the first round, whether it was Aaron Gordon or in the second round, whether it was Ben Simmons or Jimmy Butler. And then last round, whether it's Middleton, Giannis, or Malcolm Brogdon, or even George Hill sometimes, he's typically been used against a guy who initiates offense. And that's why I wonder for Toronto, do you start the series with your best defender, the best defender in the world, arguably, against the best scorer on the planet right now that's actually playing in Stephen Curry. Is that the way you go right now to start the series? I think you absolutely can, considering this is where the Durant injury comes up, right? And he's already been ruled out for the first game. They don't know if he's going to travel even to Toronto. So that would be the first two games. My guess would be KD misses the first two. And you're right, because Kawhi... Whether he was in San Antonio or this year in the one game that he played against the Golden State Warriors, he was the primary guy against Kevin Durant. So if KD plays, Kawhi's on KD. But without KD, that opens up a lot of new options of what you can do. Yes, you can throw Kawhi Leonard on him. And if you can just tamp down the scoring that Steph Curry brings to the table, you are going a long way towards being able to make their life hell. The other thing that they can do, Toronto can do, that other teams have been unable to do is just absolutely demolish them on the boards. Can you turn it into a half-court game? Like, these are the questions I have to answer if I think Toronto can do it. Can you turn it into uh, play a lot of half-court basketball instead of letting them get out on the break, Draymond snatching it off the rim, then just taking off, and then those guys flanking out to the spaces they want to be in and letting them constantly go downhill. So can you do that? Can you stop that and play more half-court basketball and can you destroy them on the board and they actually do have the personnel to be able to do that with Gasol, Ibaka, Siakam and Kawhi there aren't a lot of rebounders left for that (laughs) for that Warriors team Draymond's the one putting up the big numbers and you get to count a lot on Kevon Looney in order to grab your rebounds and who knows on the Cousins thing they bring Cousins back and he can play. They say that he's still, you know, he's scrimmaged a couple times, but it sounds like he's kind of not there yet. We have seen this over the years, Kev. This is a team that if you want to play at their speed, you are dead. And Portland played at their speed and the Clippers in round one, they were able to win a couple of games, which I was super impressed by playing fast. But then the other three, you know, three of those games, they got absolutely slaughtered. Sorry, Isaac, by 17, 27, and 19. Houston wasn't able to tamp them down like they were last year. But I went and looked this up. You know, since this all began, like 14, 15 year, they have lost 24 times in the postseason total. And that includes one year where they only lost one game. What, 16, 17? 24 times, 13 of those losses, they scored less than 100 points. And there are at least, let's see, one, two, three, I think three that were they scored under 90 where the team was able to win. And you go back and look, when Cleveland came back and beat them, they held them to 90, 97, 101, and 89. Oklahoma City, the highest they scored in a loss against uh, them was 105. And then Houston last year, 
their scores and losses were 105, 92, and 94 when they lost those games. So they get to 110, you're dead. Honestly, I went through and looked at this, and it, there are very few games that they have lost if you get up into that range. But if you can you know, keep them around that score, and we just saw Toronto do it to Philly and to Milwaukee. Milwaukee can score, Kev, and they couldn't against them. Yeah, this is a different monster, though, facing Golden State. Giannis, as great as he is, he I voted him for MVP, and I, I think he will win MVP. He still doesn't have the perimeter shot. And mm-hmm. Philadelphia, as great as Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are and Jimmy Butler, those guys aren't knockdown perimeter shooters. Like It's a whole different challenge defending this Warriors roster because they are so potent from the perimeter. And that's why, like for me, it comes back to, for as long as KD is out, how do you defend Stephen Curry? What is the best way to do it? Because Kawhi one-on-one with him, that boy, that is a, a lot to put on his shoulders when he's carrying the load offensively for you. If you're also asking him to defend Stephen Curry, that that seems like a bit much, and I it's probably unrealistic to expect that straight out of the gates. So maybe what you try to do is maybe you're trapping Steph, maybe you're blitzing, or at least showing on pick and rolls to try to get the ball out of his hands and helping off the non-shooters on Golden State like Draymond and and Andre Godala and Sean Livingston and Kevon Looney. Like there have a lot of non-shooters on this team, or even like an Alfonso McKinney, a guy who is a average shooter, but but not necessarily a knockdown guy. There's you know, this Golden State Warriors roster is still unbelievable, obviously, with Curry, Thompson, and Draymond as your big three, but there are a lot of non-shooters that you can at least help off of and and try to force the ball into their hands to end possessions with shots. Rather, I mean, than I know it is a different monster, but this team is so much better than that Portland team. I'm sorry, oh, no doubt about it. You know, so no it is a different monster. Yeah. And Portland was in all those games; they were in the games, no doubt about it. And that's been the one thing that's sort of been a little bit forgotten about. Like Toronto was way better than Portland on paper. At, especially at the center position. Like, if you're looking on both ends of the floor, Gasol is a better defender, a more reliable defender than any of the bigs that Portland was throwing out there. And he's more of a threat offensively because he not only can space the floor, but he can roll too. And he's, as you know, Chris, from his years in Memphis, is one of the best passing centers that we have in this league. So he can pick on defenses if they're helping off. Yeah, the backcourt of Portland would start in a series if we combine the teams. That's it. But we also saw what Golden State could do to Damian Lillard by trapping him, by blitzing him and getting the ball out of his hands. He didn't have the shooters around him or the big man as a release valve that Kawhi Leonard does, that Kyle Lowry does if Golden State plays a similar type of defense. And that's like the other side of this. Does Golden State trap Kawhi Leonard? Because I was a little bit surprised that Milwaukee didn't do more of that over the last couple of games when they started just getting whacked. I thought they would start trapping Kawhi more. In game one, they did a little bit. Then they went away from it for some odd reason. And I wonder if Golden State goes to that. Because the Warriors did it against Damian Lillard. They just constantly trapped and blitzed him. They did it a little bit versus James Harden here and there. In the last game against Lou Williams and the Clippers, they did it then as well. So I wonder if we'll see that to try to get the ball out of Kawhi's hands and try to turn him into a passer, which is as incredible as he is offensively. That's his... One flaw, he's an average passer, not a, not a bad passer, an average one. Um, no, but he, he can throw the ball to Marcus All, and and he can kick it out to Van Vliet or Norman Powell, like he did in games uh, five and Gasol six. Gasol is an elite level passer. I believe I read that since his acquisition, they are around tops in the league in terms of assists, 
and they are around tops in the league in terms of three-point shooting teams, which is stunning to consider because we do not think of that team as a devastating three-point shooting team. They've sort of fused their two styles with Gasol and Kawhi because earlier in the season, it seemed like they had sort of two different styles. There was the Kawhi ISO style and then head coach Nick Nurse's preferred movement-based scheme on offense. And lately, especially against Milwaukee, they they seem to have found a a happy balance between the two. Yeah, there was way less ISO than in the Philly series. Didn't you feel that way? It felt like Kawhi versus the Sixers in that series. I mean, hell, what that last game, he took 50 shots, the one that he hit the game winner in. I mean, it just felt like it was Kawhi, 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 and nobody else was going to do anything. Putting Embiid on Siakam, I think, really screwed up their offense, and then they adjusted against Milwaukee. Yeah, and then in that Milwaukee series, it felt like the ball was really pinging around. All of a sudden, Fred Van Vliet is risen from the dead. (laughs) I mean, literally, I said five times during this postseason, what the hell happened to him? And then he showed back up when big games, when it mattered most. Norman Powell was having some big games for them. In one of those games, Norman Powell led him in shot attempts. So that was one of those, okay, if you want to try to bite down onto our guys, these other guys, that's the moment where they have to step up. And to their credit, they've had guys step up. They had Powell step up. They had Van Vliet step up. Obviously, Ibaka, you know, one game is an Ibaka game and the next game's a Gasol game. I think they've got a lot going for them. And this whole Kawhi thing cannot be understated. He is just at this freakish level where it just feels he looks like a goat. I mean, I mean he like really he, he's does. not the greatest player of all time, but he's playing like a guy who should be in the conversation in this moment. And this moment is all that matters right oh, now. Oh, I'll tell you this, Kev. If you'd have gone into a coma, you know, or if you, let's say you lived in it's some country. Dark. and you, no, no, let's just say you lived <laughs> in some country where you were unaware of basketball, right? Mm, yeah. And I just brought you to America and I explained to you basketball and then you watched the playoffs. You wouldn't have to know anything to be able to tell Anybody would be able to point out that's the best guy. I would say, why don't you bring me to Toronto and put me in Jurassic Park? Because that looks there so damn fun, dude. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my goodness. If there's like How one fun thing, did that look? Like, Toronto might not win the finals, but this postseason, especially against Milwaukee, and I'm sure we'll see in the finals, boy, like they have shown to have one of the best fan bases in the world like across sports. I mean, that is, that's nuts what they have there. It's something else. I wish they weren't represented by Drake as <laughs> I don't the, mind. the fan base being that guy, right? Because Drake's in every winner's locker room, for yeah, goodness sakes, right? The long-suffering real Raptors fans, the ones that have lived and died with that team all the time, I mean, they so deserve this. And Masai, Jerry, I know this is all like caught up in the moment, but he did at least give everybody a little bit of a cause for pause when he grabbed that microphone and said, this is the best player in the NBA. And then all the debate shows had to say, is he right? Is he right? Like, what's the argument right now? I mean, this guy is, (laughs) this guy is on another level, on another level this postseason. It's one of the greatest postseason runs anyone has ever had. And you know what it made me think? You know, you need stuff like this. This is the first time in, what, eight years that we're about to watch a finals without LeBron James in it? Mm-hmm. And I know you always tell me not to take it for granted, but 
he got replaced by the guy doing it at that level too. You know what I mean? Like we got so used to these amazing performances and it's a little strange now. Don't take Kawhi for granted either. Well, and I know you were a little, you're younger than I, but I remember Jordan leaving. And when Jordan left, there was like a massive void. It's not like there wasn't other stars, but he just so dwarfed everything else in basketball. And it felt strange. And obviously he came back and won again. But this time around, it was kind of be like, what's it going to be like? And I'll be interested to see what the ratings do. I mean, obviously the Warriors are always, they're star studded and they're always good for ratings. But I don't know if the opponent, how much it will affect it that it's not LeBron this time around. But I don't think that we have missed it. I don't think we have missed him. It like hovered over everything when Jordan wasn't there. And I'm not saying this as a demerit to LeBron. I'm saying this as a kudos to the league and the health of the league and how many truly amazing players there are right now that it's going to be the first time without it. And we've got this guy that we're sitting there talking like maybe he's the best guy in the league because Lord knows when he decides he wants to be the best defender in the world, he can do it. And offensively, he's been rather unstoppable. (laughs) One thing you said in the middle of that about ratings something was put out there during the Eastern Conference Finals. I think the ratings were lower than usual for one game or multiple games, but that's because it's not factoring in the ratings in Canada from Sportsnet or TSN. So when it comes to like even the NBA Finals ratings, if it says finals are all-time low on ABC, like don't read into that because it doesn't factor in the fact that Canada is, is getting like 3 million plus views on their own stations in Canada. Just one thing to note, that's all. Well, we only care about the American ratings, you know? (laughs) What are we going to do? Come on, Kev. We can't start. We're going to throw in China, too? I'm just saying, no. I mean, they're watching it there, too. If we want to throw in Chinese ratings, we got a lot of viewers. I mean, that that is relevant, too, for what it's worth. And and so is views on YouTube and views on Instagram and like all the leagues in a great place. I don't care. I'm just saying, like, if anybody's going to, I'm just prefacing the finals with that comment. Like, don't read into the ratings too much. But, I mean, I think we did wonder what's it going to be like if LeBron's not in it. Well, I mean, we're about to find out, man. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I think I think there have been great playoffs, though. Yeah. It, I haven't sat around missing it, missing him being in it. Me neither. No, I have taken um, him for granted, Kevin, as as have you. <laughs> look, man, like, you can't take anything for granted. That, that goes without saying. But, like, with, with LeBron, I miss sort of the spectacle of LeBron James. I, I, the games have still been heavily entertaining, but... I still sure as hell would have loved to seen the Lakers against the Warriors in a round or Lakers against anybody. Like LeBron is one of the greatest players of all time, and the league is better when he's in the postseason. I say this is going to be a long series, and if Durant does not come back, I do think the Raptors can win. What if he does come back? Then they will lose. <laughs> <laughs> Is that fair? (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. I say, all right, how about this? How about this? If Durant plays four games, if Durant plays four games, a total of four, I say the Warriors win. If he plays less than four games, I think Toronto will win the series. And we know he's out for two, right? We know one, um, but likely two. And there are murmurs that it's the whole series yep. and they're just not going to say it. Put it this way. There's some chatter that it could be the whole series. 
But let's say the series splits one to one to the first two games, or for that matter, let's say Toronto goes up 2 0. Imagine the, the storylines heading into game three. Golden State needs Durant. They need a Kawhi stopper. KD comes back and he tries to be the hero. Or the inverse of that, Chris. <laughs> Golden State's up 2-0 anyway, and they're smoking Toronto. And Curry's on his way to winning a finals MVP without Kevin Durant <laughs> showing that they don't need him. Either way, like no matter what happens, no matter what happens these first two games, this story is going to be fascinating after game three when the series actually returns to Oakland. The reason I am so high on Toronto now is because when we did this show the last time, and I listen, I can't run yeah. away from what we said. I thought Milwaukee could be a bigger problem because of the Giannis matchup. But the more I saw Milwaukee being able to be put into such an incredibly uncomfortable position by Toronto, where that team was just steady, always attacking you, always going downhill. And when they couldn't do that anymore... When they couldn't get out on the break and they're popping the ball around and they're banging down threes and Giannis is in transition and Bledsoe is in transition and they, you were making them do a we run a play, you run a play basketball, that's when I was sold on Toronto. I, I did not think Toronto could get them in that kind of a game. And not only did they get them in that kind of a game, they did it and flipped that series completely. I know some people roll their eyes. When I bring up stuff that I've covered in the past, but years ago, sorry, Isaac, the Grizzlies played against the Clippers and that was the Lob City Clips. And the Clips I love went how up. every reference to the Clippers is sorry, Isaac. Sorry, sorry Isaac. It's never a good thing. <laughs> well, hey, hey, and by the way, it's not so great for you that Kawhi's having the greatest postseason ever in Toronto and they're like ready to build a yeah. statue and give him free meals for the rest of his life. This isn't been great for the Clippers either. Yeah, not what you want. Anyways, two to zero. And then the Grizzlies flipped that series and turned that into half court basketball. And You have seen this with these downhill teams where if you can get them in that mode. And so Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, guess what? They weren't the same players anymore when they're not flying up and down the court catching lobs. You're still talking about lob guys, not three-point shooters. I'm talking about what Toronto is able to do. That is a way of playing, Kevin, where you can slow the game down. You grab offensive rebounds. You grab defensive rebounds. And you play them half-court basketball. Gold State's still going to murder you in the half-court, though. Like, yes, if you limit transition chances, that still brings up the question, like, how do you stop them in the half-court? Like, that is still the main I'm telling you that that is your chance versus that team. That's what I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, I've always Of course, you, you, need a, you need to limit transition. Like, that goes for every team, though. No, 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 with, no, no, with no. With Golden no. State, it's still It is very court. specific. If you play them in their range... 110 and over, you're dead. You're not winning. If you can get that game to where it is 105 or less, now you're in it. And that is not true of every other team. But part of that is getting stops in the half court. And yes, part of that is also slowing it down on your end. Maybe not, but a big part of it is actually getting half court stops. Well, of course. So that's what I mean. Like, that's the source of slowing the game down. That's the source of But a lot of, of teams are willing low. to run up and down with them. That's what I'm telling you. A lot of teams are willing to run up and down and they end up getting beat because of it. You know what I mean? You got to drain out that clock. That's what Cleveland did. That's what Houston did. 
You drain out that clock, take a long time on your possessions, and you just keep getting them more and more frustrated. A lot of these teams are willing to get in a race with them and run up and down the court and try to match them bucket for bucket, and you can't do it. You got to take transition when it's there, though. What's that? You got to take transition when it's there, though. I mean, if you have an opportunity to break. It goes without saying, but I mean, we see this with all kinds of teams. How do you frustrate the team that is most comfortable flying up and down the court? Don't let them fly up and down the court. You know what I mean? Tony Bennett has a friggin' Final Four team, a number one seed every damn year now. These teams go bonkers trying to play against it. Somebody that'll run the clock down for 30 seconds before they'll take a shot. Same with Texas Tech. You just saw it. That's and you see basketball, though. Like, you still need it's it. basketball, Kevin. <laughs> it's basketball. I know you hate to accept this, but you cannot <laughs> run with them. You can't. The Clippers that are pretty good at running with them in the two the games Clippers they won. The Clippers got fucking bombed out. <laughs> they got I, I beat know. by 27, I, 19, and I, 17. <laughs> you might can do it once or twice. I, I you know. ain't doing it four times. My only point is that you need to take transition when it's there. Yes, you're not going to force it. That would be dumb. The Clippers did you're pretty good. They there. got bombed Still, out. Listen, man, this is the way I feel about it. The source of slowing the game down, I agree with you is getting stops in the half court when you're on defense. It's not about running the clock down on offense. It's about actually getting stops on defense. Like, what is the best way to contain Golden State for as long as Kevin Durant is out? Again, like, for me, it gets back to, what are you going to do against Stephen Curry? Are you going to trap? Are you going to blitz? Are you going to show? Are you going to have Kawhi on him one-on-one, locked up against Stephen Curry? Is that what you're going to do? What Toronto does in game one, won't necessarily be what they do with the rest of the series, but I am extremely interested in finding out what that plan is because I, I what I personally would love to see them do is not the full-time, part of the time, Kawhi on Steph, Danny Green on Clay Thompson, and then Siakam having him roam off of one of the non-shooters, probably Draymond Green, and then you have Gasol on the dunker, and then you have the fifth guy on Andre Godala. So, that's the way I think I'd be starting out the series. I'd love to see that. I'm not so sure it's fair to ask that of Kawhi, but I hope it's something that they try at some point. All right. Well, you just watch the scores. If it's 105 or less, Toronto's in it. If they get to play in these 110, 120 games, they're dead. Like everybody else over the last five years. You know, there is a mode of operation that these teams have been able to do. And the name of the game, actually, you know what? You'll probably be able to tell. Just look at how many possessions these teams had. Did they smash them on the boards? Because Oklahoma City, when they had them dead to rights, smashed them on the boards. Memphis, when they took them to six games, smashed them on the boards. Houston, when they were in it, was able to keep those games in the 90s. You know, if you're playing in the 90s, you've got a chance versus them. But it's a lot easier said than done. A lot easier said than done. They're devastating. Great team. Great, great team. Your point about the boards is is going to be interesting because the other side of that is Golden State did a tremendous job crashing the boards in the last two rounds against Houston and against Portland, especially when one of those teams was playing a little bit smaller or when they were switching screens and there was mismatches. Like Alfonso McKinney did a great job crashing from the weak side when Damian Lillard just forgot about boxing out. We saw Kavon Looney get a lot of offensive rebounds as well. I'm sure Golden State is going to continue to attack the boards. So Toronto, one of the keys, again, is limiting those second chances. But as you also said, Chris, like how much is Toronto going to crash the boards as well? Kawhi 
rebounding his own free throw misses. Yes. Siakam crashing the boards as well. Ibaka, Lowry got in there for eight offensive rebounds in the entire series against Milwaukee. Both of these teams are probably going to be crashing the offensive boards to an extent, though, because if you crash too much, that's when you get yourself in trouble because that's what can lead well, to You know what? It's interesting because Ibaka was part of that, that crew in Oklahoma City when they had that front line with him and Adams, and they just punished Golden State for going small. They're one of the very few teams that was able to do it, and they punished them for going small. I mean, Ibaka, Gasol, Siakam, Leonard is... It's pretty formidable if you're going to stay small. I wonder if Golden State will be forced to play big. That's what I wonder. Because they've been getting away with playing a Iguodala at four with Durant out. And I do wonder, like on their best lineups, if Cousin does it, like, do you think we get big loony minutes? Do you think we get a Andrew Bogut sighting? I wonder if they go big. Yeah. Uh, this is one of these series where with Boogie out, but possibly could return, and KD out could return, and Iguodala also missed the last two games of the series against Portland as well. We'll see how healthy he actually is when he returns. There's, there's a lot up in the air for Golden State. I know Steve Kerr said that Jordan Bell will play. We'll see how much, to what extent, early on in the series. They have options. I mean, Golden State is a shallow team, but they can still play different ways, as you said, whether it's Bogut or Bell, depending on what way they want to go. I'm not so sure I'd, I'd go big, though, Chris. Like, you're not going to post up Marcus Soul. You're not going to post up Serge Ibaka. I'm not sure Toronto's going to make you pay with size unless it's on the offensive boards. Yeah, no, no, just a rebounding thing. Yeah, but Draymond and Kevon Looney are great on the boards, though, and they team rebound as well. If you're Toronto, that's got to be one of those situations where when Golden State misses, we get the rebound, and when we miss, we get the rebound. <laughs> You know, I mean, just like keep making it more and more possessions that you get than the opposing team. I don't know. I guess we're going to see. And I do worry that I'm not giving Golden State. It's been a long time since we've seen them in person. I just think this Toronto thing is a little bit different of a monster. And maybe I'm just taken away with what I just saw with Milwaukee. But I don't give a damn what anybody says. Milwaukee was friggin' good. That is a outstanding basketball team. That was made to look not outstanding. And that's why I was so swept away with what took place with Toronto because they blew me away because they just, they ratcheted that thing up. And I just kept saying, like, oh, Giannis is going to figure this out or Bucks are going to figure this out. There's a reason they won 60 games and it just never got figured out. Next thing you know, Toronto's in the NBA finals. And then you've got this one guy who just feels like, <laughs> I mean, if he's on your team, you got a chance. Because I know, I know Budenholzer got smashed, but I didn't think that the Bucks lost because of who their coach was. I thought that team maxed out because of who their coach was. Are there things he could have done differently? Sure. I mean, I think you could do that with any team. But I also think that to win 60 games with that team and he'll probably have the MVP on that team, is pretty damn good. And maybe there were some limitations that we didn't take as seriously because there weren't a lot of teams that could force them to play into those limitations. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, I don't know. And th there's another side of me that says his Budenholzer are kind of like D'Antoni, right? He'll max your team out. He will probably have one of your players win the MVP, which we have seen with D'Antoni. But then when it gets time, when the other team says, 
you're not playing this way anymore. There's not that second thing to go to. You know what I mean? There's not that second thing where it's now it's time to adjust and say, okay, now they're playing us this way. It kind of feels like they're both in the mode of this is what we do and it's what we're going to do and you've got to stop it. And then once it gets stopped, it's like this, I don't know, indignance that we're going to keep doing what we do. You know, and and maybe they come out on the wrong side of things, but you're not at that place in the first place if they're not your coach. So it's kind of a catch-22, right? Yeah, and now, you know, we have a finals between two coaches that have been willing to make a number of adjustments, especially Toronto falling down 1-0 in the first round, down 2-1 in the second round, down 2-0 in the third round. (laughs) Like, you you can't fall down against Golden State. Granted, they they once blew the 3-1 lead. (laughs) You can't fall down against this roster, especially because they'll be returning to the Bay Area for game three and four, which I wouldn't read too much in the home court advantage. Golden State has won on the road in the past, and they'll probably win on the road in the series as well. But it's just, I think, another additional reason the importance of splitting those first two games. All right. I say if he plays four, the Warriors win. Do you think the Warriors win no matter what? I'm going Warriors in six, period. Okay, so they close it out at home. Mm-hmm. Final game at Oracle Arena. I feel like everybody's going Warriors and Six from what I've seen online. And you go out and try to climb the fence. Get out. <laughs> uh, Kevin O Kevin O Oracle. Uh, ho- hopefully you don't have to do that again. Um <laughs> now do you know your way around it? A little sort of. That that I'll tell you, you what, that did. arena is pretty confusing. And Others have like said that to me. Nobody else that I know of has had to climb a fence. However, <laughs> are you, it is quite confusing. Are you gonna show up when they blow it up? <laughs> hey, ask him if you could have a piece of the fence. You could like they're hang not, in your office. No, they're not, they're not as, blowing up Oracle Arena. They're not. They're just changing homes. Well, that's what they usually do with stadiums. No, they're not blowing up Oracle. They're not. I don't think so. Is it going to be like a venue for some other crap? I believe so. Oh, really? They're keeping the stadium there. I don't believe they're demolishing Oracle oh. Arena. No. Somebody, please correct us if, <laughs> if I'm wrong, but I am pretty sure I'm Blow reading. It up! Yeah, yeah. So don't, no, don't blow up Oracle Arena. Blow it up! Uh, <laughs> blow it up! A lot of history up, in that Kim. arena. Hey, if Durant doesn't come back and they lose to the Raptors, it could be like real imagery. Maybe they'd let you push the TNT down. And we're just going to blow the whole no. thing up. <laughs> blow it up! <laughs> I just Googled this. Um, okay. This is from San Francisco Chronicle, Katie Dowd. She writes... Although the Warriors will be gone, Oracle will continue to host concerts, events, and other sporting events like high school and college games. That's the short-term plan. Long-term, there are more questions. So we'll see what happens in the long-term future. But for now, continue going to see concerts at Oracle. Long live Oracle. I'll go to a concert there. How about that, Chris? (laughs) That's a good plan. Yeah, Kevin O'Concert. All right. I will say if Durant doesn't play four games, which I'm assuming he doesn't. I'll say Toronto in, well, I have to say seven. I don't think they'd win a six on the road. So Toronto in seven. And that's with your KD qualifier. Yes. And if Durant comes back and plays at least four games, then I would say Golden State in six. Cool. I think it's going to be a long series either way. Yeah, I do. I hope it goes deep. I want to Six fun or one. seven games. So that would be my KD qualifier pick. That's what I say. Um, take a quick break, and then we got to cover some of these storylines on the other side. More stories. 
Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by Capital One. With the Capital One Saver card, you can earn 4% cash back on dining and entertainment. That means 4% on checking out that new French restaurant and 4% on bowling with your friends. You can also earn 2% cash back at grocery stores and 1% back on all other purchases. Now when you go out, you cash in. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Terms apply. All right, Kev. So I got home in the afternoon, was walking through the house, and uh, one of the screens is on ESPN, and I saw PTI, Kornheiser and Wilbod were talking, and like their first subject regarding the finals, which is, you know, Durant has to be loving this. Do you know what it was? It was, is Kawhi Leonard going to stay? <laughs> and I was like, Wow. How wild is this now? Finally, somebody's not talking about Kevin Durant's free agency, right? And so the idea of this storyline, which will inevitably come about, is does the outcome of this series determine whether or not Kawhi Leonard would be a Raptor next year? And oh, well, let's just start with that. What do you think? No idea. I really don't either. No How the hell can you anybody read Kawhi Leonard. No. We just heard him laugh for the first time at, you know, six months ago. <laughs> and he's been relevant in the NBA for seven years. We haven't heard the guy laugh. And then when he did laugh, it became quite the topic. People I've talked to in the league. <laughs> wow. You like my impression? I didn't hear the first one. Can you do that one more time? Isn't that what it sounds like? Mm. One more time, please. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's right. Great job, Chris. I'm impressed. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that that's better than your impression of like people who hate. That's uh, better than the voice you do. <laughs> oh, all your uh the Kevin O disciples. Oh, no. I, I don't like that. Um <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't support the hating on you. In fact, I don't like the negative energy at all. It, honestly, no, I don't. I I know you're a Zen guy. I mute a lot of the comments actually when I see. Oh those. my gosh, yeah. Kevin O'Muter. Yeah, I don't block. I mute. Anyway, um, with the people I've talked to in the league, a lot of people still expect him to go to Los Angeles, um, and there's people who also expect him to consider the Lakers, not just the Clippers as well. I would still bet on the Clippers if I'm placing a bet here, but there's no doubt. How could Toronto not have helped themselves? You know what I mean? Like, how could you not have with this postseason run? The fact all season long they got to prove to Kawhi how they would handle his minutes, help him right. medically with that quadriceps problem that he's had for many, many years now. The support from fans like Jurassic Park, man, Canada, the entire country is behind the Raptors. For Kawhi, it's like you can be the legend. The guy who just That's leads right. to this rise of basketball in Canada. I mean, they had Vince Carter and Chris Bosh before, but this is times 10 with Kawhi leading this team to the NBA Finals. So I do wonder if there's part of Kawhi who's like, how could I leave this? Because with the Raptors, not only do they have a team that's in the Finals right now, but in 2020, if they re-sign Kawhi, they can create another max slot. Granted, that would mean losing Siakam. That would mean losing Lowry. The point is, is that they have flexibility moving forward. So for Kawhi, you have to look at all of these things. But again, like if Kawhi goes to the Clippers, suddenly they're the team that's a finals contender, especially if they add somebody else. Put it this way, Kawhi has great options either way. I'm not going to get in the business necessarily of making grand free agent opinions. And I think I do this with the knowledge of what we went through a year ago. 
I mean, it was Paul George is not going to be in Oklahoma City. Well, we know Russell Westbrook brainwashed him. A clockwork orange style. How about this? He re-signed there after they got their ass kicked. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, what if you I win if Paul big? George has any regrets. I, I mean, I think he regrets his shoulder being <laughs> knocked out of place, <laughs> you know, in March. I think that's what he really regrets. I think Paul George probably sits around and says, if I wouldn't have been injured, things would be different. He probably does. You know? Yes. That's what I'd imagine. As with most great players, you know, think that way. If I were Paul George, I would be looking at Russell Westbrook just jacking up mid-range jumpers early in the clock and be like, man, maybe I shouldn't have come here. Well, he also looks at L.A. and sees them missing the playoffs and Magic Johnson quitting. Well, I mean, so it's not exactly like he I mean, did. We, we, we can go back and forth here. You could also look at L.A. We could hand Paul George some numbers and be like, oh, the Lakers were a playoff team when LeBron James was on the court. If they also oh, had a God. second star in Paul George, they wouldn't have just been garbage when LeBron was off the floor. You could look at that, too. And I would bet the Lakers would have been in the playoffs had they had Paul George and LeBron James. Well, I would hope so. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm just saying. I, I hope they'd go to the playoffs with LeBron James and Paul George, but that's neither here nor there. The point is, he decided <laughs> to stay in Oklahoma City, yeah. and none of us thought he would. And so now, everybody, it was already predetermined Kawhi was not going to stay in Toronto, but who knows? Honestly, who knows? And I'll tell you this, I don't think Toronto fans would be pissed. I really don't. I mean, they're the nicest fan base on earth, seriously. Like, I'm happy for these Toronto fans. I don't know how many interactions you've had with them, but they are always so nice. I've gotten a lot of heat. From Canadians generally are nice people. <laughs> and so I would say you made the deal. You've gotten farther than you ever got before. And it's one of those weird scenarios where it's like, hey, man, thanks. Thanks for you gave it everything you had and got us to the finals. And if you want to go home to Los Angeles, that's where you really want to be. You didn't choose to sign with Toronto and then are backing out against us. We kind of knew what we were getting into the first place, but he gave it everything he had. And look at him. They're getting to be in the NBA finals, something that they've never gotten to experience before. So it's a little weird. Honestly, his free agent's a little bit different than many free agencies we've dealt with in the past. Right? Yeah. Obviously, it would be a mixed reaction. I'm sure a lot of people would be furious about Kawhi leaving, especially after this season. It would be a mixture like any other player leaving. Yeah. Well, listen, if they win, he'll be the finals MVP. I guarantee he'll, you that. Yeah, he'll be the finals MVP. And yes. when it comes to like whether the result matters with him leaving, you can look at this either way, man. You, you can say, if Toronto wins the finals, how could Kawhi leave that? But you could also just as easily say, there's nothing left to accomplish here. He brought a title to a, a franchise that has never been even to the finals. It could be the greatest one-hit wonder in league history. The flip side of that, again, is there has never been a best player on a finals-winning team that has left the following season after, except for Michael Jordan retiring twice. That is the only time. Um, but this would be different because he's not retiring. Yep. He would be choosing to leave for a new team. A couple other storylines. Do you think it matters regarding Durant? I feel like all of this that has happened over the course of the last couple of weeks and all the chatter, which obviously has been taken in, by Kevin Durant, that's now like he was already leaving anyway, according to everybody you talk to. But now it like really cemented it because it became everybody talking about how much fun Golden State is and how, 
you know, kind of the bands back together without Durant. And you even saw those weird quotes that he had. I don't want to say weird because that's not necessarily fair, but it was like basically it's been that way since I got here. It's kind of like them and and then KD. Right. Did you see that when they were asking him because somebody said something about them and he said us like he corrected it. <laughs> and he was like, you know, it's the way it's been since I've been here. You know, I've tried to put my stamp on this. Everybody here knows what I've meant to this team and organization, but it's still always been kind of the Warriors and KD. And so hey, listen, if he comes back, which I think may be a long shot at this point, but we'll see if he comes back. I don't think his performance or the Warriors' performance affects his offseason at all. Do you? No, it hasn't in the past. He left yeah. Oklahoma City, who blew a 3-1 lead to Golden State right. for Golden State. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's he's proven to be an unpredictable guy with decisions and comments and things in the past. Maybe like the only way is if he became the conquering hero, right? Steph gets totally taken out by Kawhi, and then they're down 0-2. And then he comes back and they win four straight and he's like, finally got his Golden State validation. He saved the day. He's still not going to be the guy Oh, bullshit. If he saved the day, he would be. He's still not going to escape Steph's shadow. That would be, though, that would be the twist in the story. That he comes back and saves the day. It would be a twist (laughs) if Golden State falls 2-0 or even down 3-0 and KD returns and they make a just an incredible (laughs) comeback. Of course, that's it's different. But it's still Steph's team, and I still don't see Katie changing that at all. By the way, like even if that were to happen, what a way to actually leave on that note. Like, by the way, I'm the reason why you just three-peated. Peace out. I'm going to go win uh, to New York. He finally gets to flip the bird, huh? Yeah. That'd be pretty dope <laughs> if you're Katie. Right, do you think, how much money do you think is on the line for Cousins? I mean, ugh, that can't be much. Really? I mean that seriously. Like, how much is he going to gain? He, he has not looked complete throughout this entire season. He's not. But if he comes back and looks like crap, he's looked like crap already. I, I, he's not going to look back and look good. Oh wow! Oh wow! To me, Cousins seems like a candidate to sign another one-year deal. Oh wow! You think that nobody's going to pay him in the offseason? How much are we talking? Like, what are you? What are you going to pay Demarcus? It's like Cousins? a real contract. First of all, like pre-Achilles injury, there were a lot of teams that would not sign Demarcus Cousins post-Achilles injury, and then this quad issue that he had, how confident can you really feel about him, I'm sorry to say, ever becoming the player that he was prior to the injury when historically this injury is devastating to so many players' careers. And DeMarcus Cousins, he has had some good moments with Golden State, but for the most part, he has not been anywhere close to the guy that he was prior to that injury. And it's sad to see because he was a fun player. But if I'm like a... You know, somebody that doesn't usually get players of that, at least name The one-year, $25 million contract. Like, that no, type no, no, of thing no, no. we're talking about. But, like, let's say, let's say I'm, like, whatever, Atlanta. You're not going to sign Boogie if you're Atlanta. And I could sign him for three years and $24 million. Nope, no chance. You'd say no? No, no way. Oh, wow. No. You wouldn't say, hey, it's a risk, but it's an $8 million risk. Why would you potentially want to ruin the good thing that you have going there with a nice rebuild Two first round draft picks this year. You really that was the other thing is like kind of where's the fit, right? Like I said, there are not many teams that even wanted Cousins when he was available for trade from the Kings, and now post Achilles injury, 
the amount of potential suitors for him is is even more diminished. It, that's what I was saying though. If he came back in the finals and went twenty and ten, that's why I was saying millions of dollars. It's not going to happen. It's just not. He said it's not happening. It's just not. <laughs> it's not, it's just not. He's not going twenty ten. In fact, I would argue that Cousins could hurt Golden State. Oh, how realistic is it that Cousins returns and he immediately makes a positive impact when he has not made one all season? Really? No. Prior to his, it, I was looking at those on off court numbers. Which say what you want about him, but shaky. Oh, his are terrible. You know who else's are terrible in the postseason? Clay's, which was shocking to me. I was not ready for that. His on-off court was bad. Like the other guys are like, obviously, Draymond, Curry, even like some of these others, like the McKinney's of the world and Looney's and whatever, all like big positives. And the on-off court for Clay, for whatever reason, was, was bad, bad, bad. I don't know. I, I mean, I'd obviously have to dig a lot further, but I will tell you that the huge red number next to Cousins was daunting. So you might be right. Like he might. There's very little evidence to suggest he would help, especially with the way they kind of play without him. You know, I guess the only way is if I'm right and they get him in a half court game, then then he helps, right? Because he can get you half court buckets. Theoretically. Yeah, Cousins, the benefit of having him was as a guy, he's like a curveball. He's a breaking ball for Golden State to throw. If they want to go play jumbo, they could. But I just have a hard time finding reasons to believe that Cousins could return in the middle of the NBA Finals and and make a more significant positive impact than he did prior to the injury when he returned mid-year. And when he was not good, (laughs) he just wasn't good. There's just very little evidence to suggest that that's going to start now in the NBA Finals. All right. Two quick things. Number one, I know you are been hot and heavy on all the draft stuff since the lottery happened. Ringer draft guide is absolutely unbelievable. We did a draft mailbag pod yesterday too. The meat oh, was that and right? Chow. Yeah, that, that went up on Monday. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so it was a Memorial Day pod. I got to check this yes, out, sir. So I'm going to check that out. Let me just ask you one quick because I have not listened to that yet. Who? Through the Intel, you know, post combine. And then obviously you're calling around and trying to research about these kids that are going into the NBA draft. Who would you say your opinion has been swayed on the most post lottery slash combine? Like you have just keep on getting good feedback about or negative feedback for that matter, right? I'm not trying to kill a kid, but I'm just saying like <laughs> up or down on your board. Don't kill any kids kinda, over here, Chris. It's bad. Well, who's kind of the Kevin <laughs> Knox, right? Because you remember Knox went, flew up for you. The more you heard about him, the more you watched him, the more you ended up liking him, right? And then he obviously went very high in the NBA draft. And though when the mocks first came out, he was more towards the end of the lottery. And then he kind of went up. Next thing you know, he's a top 10 pick. Is there anybody that, the opinion has been swayed on yet. My first instinct about Knox might have been true, but <laughs> it's beside <laughs> the point. Uh, with, with, I think the guy the post combine who's been interesting in conversations is Nick Claxton, a center from Georgia, um, but he's not quite a usual center. He he ran point often for Georgia's offense last season. He's a good ball handler, a good passer. Only shot 28% from three, only 64% of the from the line. So there's questions about his actual ability to space the floor. But 20 years old, can handle the ball, can has a projectable shot. And then at the Combine, what he showed was most impressive was his defensive versatility. At the NBA Combine, 
all players were required to switch screens. And so there was ample opportunity to see big men defending guards and guards defending wings and forwards. And so Claxton pretty consistently did a great job defending regardless of the opponent. And when you think about what's important in today's league for the big man, the ability to defend on the perimeter, the ability to space the floor, the ability to make plays off the dribble. And Claxton is somebody who projects long-term to be a guy who can check all three of those boxes. Oh, God, I just scanned down. 7-3 wingspan? Damn. Yeah, he's long. That is yep. freaky. And that matters, especially the great defenders in the league. That wingspan number is something I always do pay a lot of attention to because it is true of many of the great defenders that they have these freaky long arms, which enable them to be you know, maybe even better than what we thought they were going to be. You see Taco Falls? Measurements, oh God. seven, five without shoes, seven, seven with shoes, eight, two and a quarter wingspan. Woo! I've been watching Memphis <laughs> play against Taco Fall for the last decade. I swear to God, the kid was in college longer than anyone I've ever met in my life. I swear I've been watching Taco Fall forever. Do you think he's so, an NBA player? Hell no. What? Okay, I mean, I'm just no. at, I'm asking because Boban no. is an NBA player. I don't mean like a. A good player. I mean, an NBA player. No. (laughs) No. I'll tell you this. The one difference between Boban and Taco Fall, Boban can hit a jumper, and he can hit his free throws. Taco, in his college career, I can't believe we're talking about Taco Fall, shot 43% from the free throw line over his four years at UCF. (laughs) Boban, in his career, is a 77% free throw shooter. And, hey, and to me, that's the listen, big difference. I promise you this. I promise you Isaac is going to edit out this Boban slander. I can't even believe you put him in the same sentence with Taco Fall. Taco Fall? First of all, it's pronounced Boban. It's not Boban. <laughs> I, I don't know what kind words. of garbage pronunciation is this? <laughs> I don't know words. I do have to go see John Wick 3, though, because he's in that. I do, too. Maybe tonight. I can't believe I haven't seen it Maybe yet. Maybe tonight. That's not a bad idea. It's, it's Right now, we're recording this at uh, it's 5 o'clock on the yep. West Coast. It's an off yep. night in the NBA. Why not go see John Wick? There you go. Mm. Right, sounds so like you got idea. plans. You can go see Boban. Hey, you know, a Taco Fall could be in John Wick 4. All right. <laughs> last thing. Tomorrow is a very important morning for you, mm. Mr. O'Connor, because um, I know you are going to be announcing, and maybe you will have already announced by the time many people have already heard this, but you've got something very exciting going on. Yeah. Um, a couple of weeks back, you and I discussed the article I wrote on The Ringer that discussed my dad's cancer diagnosis. And the response to that, as I said at that time, was just overwhelming with so many people just reaching out with thoughts and prayers and sharing their own stories. Like I, I got so many emails and tweets and DMs. There were just too many to respond to, um, even though I tried to get to as many as I could. And it was super motivating. So I am starting a fundraiser to raise money for cancer research and treatment. It's called Dunk on Cancer. That can be found on dunkoncancer.com or going to pledgeit.org forward slash dunkoncancer. And basically the way it's going to work is like anything else, you're able to make a one-time donation of any amount, whether it's $2, $5, $20, everything helps. Or you can do a donation per dunk in the NBA Finals. So it could give every dunk extra meaning in the finals. So that's one reason why I'm hoping the series goes long so we get more dunks. But based off stats research, just so you have some information, there's expected to be roughly about 10 dunks per game based off 
trends from Toronto and Golden State over this past season in playoffs. So the longer the series goes, the more dunks there will be. And uh, so if you donate like a dollar per dunk and there's 50 dunks, that means you donate $50. And you're able to change your donation at the end of the finals, whether you want to give more or give less. But regardless, like even if you can't give anything, but you feel motivated, just share the link on Facebook, on Twitter, Instagram, let your friends know about it. That would mean the world. So I'm excited about it. We've already got some donations in. I pre-launched. But yeah, that'll be up Tuesday morning. I'll tweet out a video and all the details about that. All right. I'm also going to need to know if Durant comes back for this. (laughs) (laughs) Because that number goes extraordinarily higher. We could use some dunks from KD, that's for sure. (laughs) I'm just going to do the flat rate donation. I'm proud of you, man. You've taken what has been an extremely traumatic event in your life over the course of the past couple of weeks. And uh, as always, Kev, you have turned it into something good. Dunkoncancer.com is the website. And uh, I think this is going to be very, very fun. And I think you're going to see a tremendous outpouring from people. This is a good way to tie in basketball to something that has affected almost everybody you know in some way, shape, or form. Dunkoncancer.com. There you go. Look at you with the set-up website and everything. God, Mr. <laughs> Kevin O'Responsible. <laughs> hey, yeah. No, it's great, right? You went in there, you went to GoDaddy, you typed it in, mm, and you said, yeah. it's available. Yeah. yeah. It's a good name. Yeah, yeah it, it works. Is. Yeah. By the way, I also should mention um, funds will be going to Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston. That's where my dad's receiving his care. And that's a place, I mean, I noticed this while I was in there talking to people. People from around the world go to Dana-Farber, and it was important for me to pick a place that does research and treatment and also has a a worldwide reach, not just a a local. And granted, that matters as well. But for the first one, I wanted to go at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. For all of our Mismatch listeners, help us out with this. Dunkoncancer.com, Kevin's new charity that he has set up going towards cancer research. Kevin, I cannot wait to be talking NBA Finals by the next time we speak. I'm excited for this Finals. I think it's going to be very good. I do. I think these are two awesome teams. I do too, Chris. I I think we're going to get a good one. When Toronto first won, my first thought was, this is a five, six-game series, but boy, am I leaning towards this goes six or seven right now, even though I'm still picking Golden State in six. I'm stoked. Fair enough. Thanks to everyone for listening to another episode of The Mismatch. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes. Five stars, five stars. And we will talk to you next week. 